This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 111 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to returning Rebel guest, Tiffany Yates-Martin. Tiffany was on episode 50 talking about intuitive editing. So you can go back and listen to that. That was quite some time ago now. Um, But today we are talking about her career. We're talking about the fact that she has been published both um, independently. um, She has been published by a uh, big uh, five publisher, big four, whatever it is now. Um, She has also been published by Small Press. And so we talk about her years of, um, I think it's 30 years of in, in the publishing industry, what's changed, why you may or may not want to be a hybrid author. We talk about pen names and how to write when you are also an editor, uh, because that does have an impact on your writing. But first to last week's question, which was, what characters have you read with really strong voices? Okay, so we have um, Catherine O'Sullivan-Brown who said, oh, I need this. My bad guy in my series is basically a David, uh, is basically David Tennant as a psycho killer. Um, Emily Han said, mind-blowing episode. Uh, Karen Heenan said, this was a good one that deserves a second lesson while I'm out walking tomorrow. Edwin Downward said, can I go with three very different characters? Rowena Lee from Change of Momentum by Liana Brooks. Uh, Kat Martini from Touched by an Alien by Ginny Koch, I think. Um, Kia Ugiabi from The Occasional Diamond Thief by J.A. McLachlan. We had a few more comments. Uh, S.W. Miller on Patreon said, uh, fantastic episode, Sasha. Got so much out of this one. Really engaging sla- uh, chat. I've got Spellslinger near the top of my pile. Uh, and then on Instagram, hunter.keris said, fascinating episode. Uh, Shahrazad said, this topic scares me a lot. Uh, Tally Book said, very, very good episode. So thank you, everybody. I love how much you enjoyed that episode. I have to say it was one of my favourite chats of late. Um, I really enjoyed talking to Sebastian. I really found a lot of the things that he was saying thought-provoking and insightful. Um, So yeah, I, I hope that one day I can have him back on the show. This week's question is, do you have a pen name? Or if you don't, what would your pen name be? So I think most of you should know that Sasha Black is not my real name. Um, That is a pen name. I have a ridiculous real name that is incredibly long and wouldn't fit on a book cover. Um, However, Sasha Black now very much feels like me. (laughs) I would say that 90 to 95% of the people in my life call me Sasha. And so uh, my real name doesn't like I sometimes sort of double take when I see that 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 name like in a text or somebody calls it uh, because I spend my life surrounded by writers. Um, however, uh, a secret secrets. I am. I also have another pen name that I am thinking about, uh, and it's going to stay secret for now. Um, but I am thinking about diving into a different genre. I have sort of got some ideas uh, of what I'm going to do next year. Um, So yeah, I'm thinking about using a completely secret pen name um, for that. So yeah, tell me, do, do you guys have pen names? Why or why not? Okay, the book recommendation for the week this week is Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds. Now this book is written in verse and um, it is 
uh, written by a man of colour and um, it is about a young boy of colour who whose brother gets shot. Um, I believe it's set in America um, and it was harrowing, it was emotional, it was be lyrically beautiful um, and it's a very quick read and it is just fantastic. The story is, um, the timeline is set on one lift journey and oh my goodness me, it was just so harrowing and, and stunning and beautifully written and so yeah I highly recommend you check out Long Way Down by Jason Reynolds of course I will leave my favorite links in the show notes okay so personal updates well I just sort of mentioned one of my secret updates there that I've got to I've come up with a new pen name and I'm thinking about uh, diving into a different genre next year I'm trying very hard as you know to close down lots of projects so by the end of this year the things that I should have closed down are Trey and and um, the novella that is already written called uh, Sirens um, and then the anthology, I wrote my anthology story this week. Yeah, okay, so confession, I had written half of my anthology story and I stalled ground to a halt because it wasn't working. I needed to spend more time thinking about it because that was going to be a reader magnet for a trilogy um, that I want to write. And so I just needed, I just couldn't do it. So I, I had this other character that had come to me previously and so I pulled them out of a story um, and I wrote, I wrote the whole story yesterday, which was unbelievable. I just vomited out the story. So yeah, I'm very, very happy and excited to have done that. Um, so those are the things I'm kind of working on uh, this year and I'm hoping that by the time I get to January I won't have anything on my plate like at all, no projects. So um, it will be a really clean slate and I want to kind of try and look at my year and structure it differently. So yeah I'm very excited I'm going to be looking at like really trying to increase my writing muscle so that I can produce more books faster. So yeah, I kind of feel like I'm at this T-junction and this crossroads and I'm doing a lot of thinking and a lot of decision making and um, so I'm just deep in thought really this week. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I don't think I have any other updates this week. I, Like I said, I have worked on that story. I have been editing Trey. Um, I have been doing a lot of admin and freelance work because obviously uh, this is, I think the first, no, the second, well, it's the first working, it's the second episode back from the holiday, but it's the first working week back. And so I've been trying to catch up as well. Um, in other news, <laughs> very proud, I hit my Goodreads goal. So I set a Goodreads goal of reading 100 books this year, uh, although publicly I think I only set 52 as my goal. Um, but I have a secret... <laughs> Goodreads account uh, where I had set a goal of 100 books and I finally hit that so I'm very excited very proud of myself um yeah it's taken a really long time to get back to this speed and this pace of reading um I read hundreds of books when I was a teenager um every year and then I went to university and obviously academic texts took over and I just didn't really have the time to to read for leisure and then I went into the corporate world and then I had a kid and you know like all of these things take up your time and space and your energy and I just I wasn't reading and then I think it was either 2015 or 2016 I was like you know what I really miss reading for leisure and that first year I read five books 
Okay, so like it's been a journey to get to 100 books. Um, and then I think the following year I read 30 books and then I read 52 and then I read 60 and then 62 and then 65 last year. So like I thought last year that I, that was it, that was going to be the amount of books that I could read. But um, I really wanted to have a year where I read over 100 books. And so I just doubled down and I more or less stopped watching TV in order to do it. And I feel like for me personally, I had forgotten or underestimated quite how much energy I derive from reading. I know not everybody does and that's completely okay. But for me, oh my goodness, it is so vital for me personally um, to fill my brain with stories and information, be it nonfiction or fiction. Um, I get energy pennies from reading. So yeah, I really... I don't know. I have a few really long books that I want to read and the the, the com competition inside me is like, ah, but that means you'll slow down. Um, but also I really want to read those books. So um, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to do that this year now that I've hit my goal or if I'm, I might do those next year. Um, but I, I have a feeling I might, I don't know what my goal will be for next year. I don't know. We'll see. Anyway. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm really proud of myself for having done that. So I wanted to share that. Um, okay, I think that's probably it. Oh no, I have a couple of other things to announce. So um, if you have not got your NaNoWriMo story bundle, um, I am still in the story bundle with um, 16 other authors. So the likes of Kevin J. Anderson, um, Andrea Pearson, Monica Leonel, Joanna Penn and Mark Lefebvre. Um, we are in the storybundle.com, uh, their nano bundle of books. Um, all of the books cover a range of topics from drafting to editing to publishing to newsletter, email management, creating amazing content. So if you, and it's a pay what you like bundle as well. So if you would like to get your hands on a whopping bundle of digital books, then go and visit storybundle.com forward slash nano and grab yourself a bargain. In other news, um, I ran the uh, Villains Masterclass. It went fantastically. Thank you so much to everybody at who attended. Um, if you want, were thinking about attending and weren't able to attend, but you would still like to um, have a listen to the Masterclass or have a watch of the Masterclass, then you can. I've uploaded it to my Thinkific site um, and that is now, you can now purchase that and, and take the course uh, as a watch in your own time. So we covered things like the Villains journey and like how to create unlikable characters, looking at um, villains and how to deepen your villain characterization and a whole bunch more. So I will put a link to that in the show notes. Rebel of the week this week is Kalina CSA. So Kalina says, um, I grew up as the sort of classic undiagnosed ADHD child. I started off doing great in school, but as high school and on started, I really struggled with anything that didn't involve the things I'm passionate about, art and writing. I was in advanced placement art classes and took art classes at the communi community college while in high school. And while I enjoyed what I was doing, it wasn't the art that I loved to make most, anime. My high school teacher and several professors told me time and time again that I would not be able to succeed if I continued drawing anime art. It was disheartening to hear, but I listened. 
When I was 16, my entire world changed when I found out I was pregnant. I finished high school with two years worth of college credits, married my high school sweetheart, and for years fell into the stay-at-home mum route. And while I absolutely love being a mother, something was missing from my life. I got back into drawing anime art, just as a hobby of course, but within a few years my talents grew and I built enough of an online community through my art that I was able to start profiling from, uh, profiting from it. For the past year now, I've had my own business, raised two children and worked my ass off to support my family financially as my husband finished college. And I did it all by drawing what I love most. So a big ha ha to those teachers and others who said I could never get to where I am today. And now I'm on, on to my next goal, working to prove everyone who said I can't, that I can and will become a published author. I adore this story. Like, it gave me goosebumps. I love that you proved everybody wrong. I, I find it shocking um, that teachers are still able to get away with saying things like that. I think it's disgusting. Um, you know, we should be here to encourage children to fulfill their wildest desires and dreams, you know, rather than crushing small humans into some kind of fucking box that we think they ought to sit in. I adore the fact that, um, yeah, that, that you did it and you did it all whilst being a mom and raising children and supporting your husband. And you know what? I have no fucking doubt that you will become a published author. I, I with somebody uh, with as much determination and grit as you, I have no doubt that you will do that and probably smash all of your goals and dreams at the same time. Okay, if you would like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your story. We are always in need of stories. So it can be any kind of rebellion, a big one, a small one, or something in between. Hell, if your um, loved ones, friends have done rebellions, you are welcome to send those stories in as well. You can email your rebel story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or you can Instagram me at Sasha Black Author. Two new patrons this week. Thank you so much to Christiane Irwin and Alison Carroll. Um, and a massive thank you to Jay Renee Lawrence for upping her pledge. So that's both Jay and Christiane who are coming in at the Rebel Reader level. So not only do you get access to the Slack, you get access to all of the previous posts and we just ran our first Rebel Readers Masterclass and so that has been posted to Patreon and you should be able to get the, re the replay uh, to see that as well. And we deconstructed Under the Whispering Door by TJ Clune. Um, the next book that we are going to look at is A Master of Gin, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, by P... Clark, um, P. Delhi Clark, I think it is. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to be reading that this month and then I will be uh, telling everybody in the Rebel Readers group what, um, what, to be, what to look out for as they read the book next month. And then we will discuss on the 12th, I believe it is, of January next year. Okay, I think that's probably enough from me this week. So let's get on with the interview. Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I'm super excited because we have returning Rebel, Tiffany Yates Martin. Tiffany has spent nearly 30 years as an editor in the publishing industry, working with major publishers and New, uh, and New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal and USA Today best-selling and award-winning authors, as well as indie and newer writers. 
and is the founder of Fox Print Editorial and author of the best-selling Intuitive Editing, A Creative and Practical Guide to Revising Your Writing. She's led workshops and seminars for conferences and writers groups ac across the country and is a frequent contributor to writer sites and publications. Under the pen name Phoebe Fox, she's the author of six novels, including the upcoming The Way We Weren't. You can find out more at Fox Print Editorial or PhoebeFoxAuthor.com. Hello and welcome back. Hello, my favorite rebel. You're the only person <laughs> who ever calls me a rebel, so it always makes me feel bad. Oh, bad in I, a good way. Yeah. <laughs> I do like to find the dark side in everyone. <laughs> Um, so you were on episode 50 talking about intuitive editing, um, which was just over a year ago now. So I wondered whether or not, rather than sort of give us the usual history, which I usually ask people for on their first episode, what have you been doing in the last year? Oh, intuitive editing changed the game for me in a way I hadn't expected. It was really weird. Until then, my business had mostly been based on working with authors whether through publishers or directly with authors. And then uh, the book came out and it's been doing very well. And all of a sudden I, I book up and I don't really have a lot of bandwidth for that. And so I was redoing my website and I thought, okay, if that's not my business anymore, what's my business now? So that has expanded into doing a whole bunch of teaching and online courses and pres uh, presentations. And I just told you off camera, that I am working on a second book for intuitive editing to follow up with um, each individual craft area that I cover in that book. I'm going to do independently in another book and just dig really deep. And then my fifth book released, since I talked to you last, my fifth fiction book under my pen name, Phoebe Fox. And my sixth book is coming out in about two weeks from the time we're recording this. So you're absolutely machining life then because, machining. oh my goodness, <laughs> that is so yeah, much. Yeah, I just said... <laughs> A minute ago to you before we were recording that when I listen to your litany of things you're doing, <laughs> it exhausts me. And that's just someone who's pretty type A and doing a lot. <laughs> yeah, I it's yeah, I yeah. Funnily enough, I've had to go through a bit of a um a closing down period this year. Um, because I think just like pandemic fatigue and mm -hmm. like parental fatigue and life fatigue fatigue and running your own business fatigue I just um like I realized I wasn't spending enough time doing the things that I wanted to do in my business like writing fiction and you know so yeah I've I like stopped doing a lot of things a lot of things for other people and I'm trying to like really narrow my focus but yeah, we will, we will see. So we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things today. Um, and I'm really excited because um, you actually suggested a lot of these topics. And I am super excited because I actually am really nosy and really want to know the answer to loads of these things. <laughs> <laughs> so um, first of all, let's, let's talk about, um, in fact, let's talk about your upcoming book. Tell everyone a little bit about your upcoming book, um, The Way We Weren't. Uh, the Way We Weren't, written under my pen name, Phoebe Fox, which was a big, dark secret up until mm, maybe not even a year ago. It's about a woman who is in a very long and happy marriage for to her high, uh, high school sweetheart for about 20 years. And when they get pregnant, it creates a crisis in their marriage. Neither one of them expected on her way to work one day. She just kind of keeps driving and she winds up down in a little rundown Florida beach town, passes out from dehydration on the beach and is rescued by a much older misanthropic man 
who is hiding some secrets and difficult truths of his own. And these two form kind of an unlikely alliance that forces both of them to look at some things in their past they've been avoiding and decide whether they're going to stay stuck in it or move forward with the people they love the most. I love it. I love it. And is and I'm guessing that everybody can get that everywhere across all stores. Is it an audio as well? It will be. Yeah. It's a Penguin, uh, Berkeley Penguin Random, all the names yeah. released. So yeah, they'll have it pretty much everywhere. They just recorded the audiobook last week with the narrator from my previous book, one of them, and a new one because we had we have two points of view in this one, male and female. So they asked if I wanted two voices. And of course, I'm a former actor and I'm like, and, and, you know, thwarted director. I'm like, um, yes, please. <laughs> so I can't wait to hear it. Oh, that's awesome. So are you still editing? I am. It's just, I, I still do it and it's still my number one love really. But, um, I book up, I like February, I'm kind of booked for the year. So more, more often than not, I'm closed to new clients, unfortunately. So that's why I started thinking, what on earth do I do now? Mm. If you can't like, come to my website and work with me most of the year. What is it you come to my website for? So it's been really fun actually expanding it. And I'm a big, like you, I like to, uh, I just talking to Rachel Heron recently from the, how do you write podcast? And she said, I love her. We became Mm -hmm. BFFs about three minutes into the, Mm -hmm. into the interview, like you and I kind of did. Um, she said she just, it, it became her mission to put as much information out there for free as she could. And I, and that really resonates for me because there's a lot of, especially now, there's a lot of things authors can pay for and that business is expanding. There's more services than ever before, which is a mixed blessing. But I also think that there's, uh, it, it's nice to be able to go places from sources that you trust and be able to just avail yourself of things that are useful to you. So I have a lot of fun doing downloadables. Um, I started a weekly blog, which at first I thought, how on earth will I think of a topic every week? And oh my God, I have little ideas written down for years to come because the more you write, (laughs) hey, writers, the more you write, the more the ideas come. Go they figure. really do. They really do. I blogged for a really long time. And then um, I, I just ended up turning those blogs into books. And mm. so now I just do the books instead. <laughs> but I could reverse yeah, I'm a little behind you. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> I think that's what, what I started doing. Yeah. Because of this series of books I'm doing is that's where I'm working out a lot of the concepts. Yes, the that's books. exactly what I did. That's exactly okay. And so once enough, again, I am following gratefully in your footsteps. Thank well, you so for lighting I, the way. You are most welcome. I I am now taking it one step further. So um, I I used to do the 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 blogging, which then went into books, and then now um, I I felt like I'd lost something when um, I was like, well, I'm not like so when I read books. I I think we talked about this before. Oh, we did. I tell this story all the time. You are a guiding light for the authors that I I teach. (laughs) But when I used to deconstruct these books and stick all the sticky tabs in, I used to turn that into something useful when I did the blog. But now I don't blog. I lost something. And so Mm. now I'm doing masterclasses. And oh my goodness me, it works exactly the same way. So I was doing a, uh, I'm doing a villains masterclass for Halloween and 
like without kind of divulging too much I've come up with a whole new concept for a whole new villains book and I'm like how did I do that I already wrote the villains book but I have a whole new idea for a villains book so yeah anyway um so maybe masterclasses <laughs> it's the same intellect thing. It, uh, that's the thing I think you have to be it's like writing you have to be doing the thing to spark the ideas for the thing yeah. You know, like if you, if I were to stop editing, which I don't want to do or stop doing all of the teaching or the writing about it, you don't get a chance to work through all those concepts and it doesn't spark the ideas. So yeah, like you, I'm pretty grateful for that. And I am walking behind you. So you just keep throwing <laughs> your breadcrumbs back there, baby. I'm um, gobbling them up. But you know, I haven't even asked you one question yet. I just love talking to you so much. Um, <laughs> so, so, okay. So the reason I asked, are you still editing? Um, is because I want to know what it's like as an editor and an author. Like, how do you, how do you just vomit that first draft out when, because one of the things that I struggled with when I was doing developmental editing was, um, allowing myself that freedom to just get to the end of a, a end of a book without criticizing everything that I was doing because I was trying to vomit so how do you deal with that how do you because I think that's something that writers in general would appreciate anyway like how to silence that inner critic yeah I think we all have one but it's kind of the occupational hazard of being an editor is that it's it's very overdeveloped and it wants to take over at all times that's probably the hardest thing for me in um, not only developing my fiction but when I started to have contracts and work to deadline that was a mixed blessing because in some ways it forced me to do that, but in other ways it also freaked me out because I didn't have the time to do what I would usually do, which is try to write it absolutely perfectly, realize it isn't perfect, go back and again, try to write it absolutely perfectly. So it kind of forced me to, uh, as you so eloquently said in a phrase I used to vomit it up on the page. And that was a skill I had to learn to be able to do. I talk a lot about, like, I just did this blog post about the three perspectives of a writing career, basically. And it's the reader brain, the writer brain, the editor brain. The writer brain is for the first draft. And then you have to transition to the reader brain so that you can assess what you have. That's the editing part, right? That's what you and I, what you used to do, what I still do as an editor. And then, uh, the editor part comes in and tells you how to fix all this stuff after you've done your reader part where you're just assessing what you have. The editor comes in and says, here's why it's not working and here's ways to make it work. And then the writer comes on stage again so that you can make the revisions. But what I think a lot of, we don't teach this. You and I've talked about this. We teach, here's how to write. Mm. And so I think that sort of lends itself to that idea that when you write, it needs to come out perfectly. Whereas the writers allow, I joke in my book, write like a dog, edit like a cat, mm -hmm. by which I mean, just like slobbery writing should just be, I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw up my breakfast on this page. And you have to stop judging yourself for that. You have to get out of the way of the creative part of you that needs to have the freedom to make mistakes and try stuff and suck and go blank. Actually, one of my mantras is before I start writing, I literally, whether I'm writing a blog post um, nonfiction fiction, I tell myself at the beginning of every writing session, you have permission to suck because I almost have to let myself know that it's okay to fail. No one's ever going to see it until I want them to see it. So now I've gotten good at, like, if I get stuck somewhere, I will just put brackets there and say, say something funny here, or, or I'll say the worst thing that comes into my head, you know, like, 
was that great title of David Sedaris's book, Me Talk Pretty One Day. And I'll put something, <laughs> I'll put something like that in brackets, knowing, knowing that later on I can come back and fix it. But I have to stay in the creative mindset. You've got to stay in the right brain. And as soon as you start making fixes as you go, you're pulling yourself out of that. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely agree. I I think it's I think naturally creatives and especially writers it's just something that we will have to constantly like re-give ourselves permission to do every day right because because I'm like smiling and nodding and being like yeah yeah and then like I go to the page and I'm like no yes (laughs) yeah it's like you never fix it you never stop doing this it's going to be your demon forever all your demons are yours forever you just get better at coexisting with them and managing them Absolutely. I also have this. This is a here. I'm going to show it to you and everybody at home. I will narrate it. But um, Michael J. Fox did an interview, I think, in the New York Times about a memoir, his latest memoir. And his brother-in-law is Michael Pollan, the food writer. He's married to Tracy Pollan. Michael J. Fox is. And he told him while he was Michael J. Fox was struggling with writing the memoir. And Michael Pollan told him velocity and the truth. And I love that when I'm writing. And also when I'm presenting, it reminds me not to get all wrapped around the axle of worrying about, is it perfect? Just get to the meat and tell the truth. Mm -hmm. I love that. I, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have any quite as eloquent as that on my uh, computer. I mostly have, you have permission and defy the odds. (laughs) Uh, Those are good. Yeah. Not quite, quite. You have permission, which is permission to suck adjacent. Well, and so this one perhaps is slightly more, slightly more uh, relevant. Would you rather quit fiction? <laughs> because, you know, what are you, what, 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 what are your choices? Either get the fucking thing done or quit. Okay. Are, is that a legit question you ask yourself or is it yeah. rhetorical? Good. Well, That's cool. Yeah. No, I mean, so I don't know if you've ever heard of Clifton Strengths. Mm, name's familiar. So um, it's it's this whole <laughs> listeners will know because I talk about it all the time. Um, it's much like the Myers Briggs kind of personality, but mm. in, but but what it does is it focuses on strengths, and um, essentially tells you to ignore your weaknesses, and you can develop <laughs> um, because you can sort of get ten x uh, improvements if you just focus on your strengths. And my number one strength is competition, and um, <laughs> so so it's that that question in particular speaks to my competition because I want to win whatever Mm. it is. Like if I'm writing the book, I want to win the book by getting to the finish line. And so like, you know, it's like coaches, you know, like grab the helmet of the, of the football player and like scream in their face. What are you going to do? Are you going to quit? Like that's the kind of, yeah. So that's why I have that quote. Motivation is very violent, (laughs) Sasha. (laughs) Other people like rubs on the backs, apparently. What's that about? Well, (laughs) you know, it's funny. What I thought of when you showed me that is, is it being a genuine question? This is why I quit acting. Actually. I, I was not happy. And one day I asked myself, what if you quit? Mm-hmm. Like it was a legitimate question. It wasn't rhetorical. And I started smiling and I couldn't stop. And I, that was the last day I was a professional actor. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I am. Um, I, I'm quite black and white about things like that. And it is literally, if you're not going to quit, shut up and get it done. Yeah. You know? And also genuinely give yourself that option. Like, do I still yeah. want to do this? And, and every day, if you're reaffirming, yeah, I still want to do this. I think that's really healthy. It gets to the sort of the core of the why knowing, 
knowing what makes you show up in the chair every single day, despite the fact that, you know, this can be such a challenging business. And that is a fantastic segue into the next question, because, um, you know, this is a business, despite us all being creatives and artists and, and, and all of our, you know, lies that we tell in our stories. Um, you know, it is a business and there are so many different means and methods and paths to success or to full time careerness or to publication. Mm. And you have gone down many, many routes. <laughs> so yeah. um, do you want to just maybe talk about all the different paths that you've gone down and maybe like what were the business decisions you made what, what was the why you were just talking about why like what was the why behind those reasons and those justifications because I think listeners maybe sometimes think that India is the only way or that trad is the only way and actually there are a, a multitude of different options there are more than I've seen in three decades in this business which I think is wonderful for authors can be overwhelming but also great so I started small press my first four fiction uh, fiction novels as they say never to say and I never say until I'm being recorded. Um, <laughs> we're small press because quite frankly, that was who was interested and I wanted to be published. We had queried, um, my agent and I had queried my first manuscript, this one actually that wound up getting published, The Breakup Doctor. All, all these are under my pen name, all my fiction is. And it got really good feedback, but nobody wanted it. <laughs> so I put it in a drawer. But I love it. It's about a therapist who loses her practice. And then she reinvents herself coaching people through their bad breakups. And I had been dating a good long while and I had a couple of stories. <laughs> so it was tons of fun to write, turned into a series. But in the meanwhile, I wrote another manuscript and then we shopped that one around. Also, nobody wanted that one. So at this point, I went back to the first one and I said to my agent, I'm, I love it and I'm going to rework it and I'm going to publish it myself. And she said, you know what? I love it too. And when you rework it, can we, can I have one more crack at it? And I was endlessly grateful to Courtney Miller Callahan for that. And so that's what she did. And we got, again, really good responses and a, a small press was incredibly enthusiastic about it. They were starting up. So they were offering a very hefty share of the royalties, which was attractive to me because they wanted to build their author list. So it felt like a good business move to just break into the business in a way that um, I knew I was going to kind of kill it on marketing because I was like you, I was just determined to do it, damn it, competitive and also uh, give me a goal and I'm going to do everything in my power to hit that goal. So I figured if the royalty share was higher, that was a really strong business choice for me. So I did the first four there and that was the series and then had decided our interests diverged. Um, and I decided to, I was supposed to have one more book coming out with them, which was a little bit of grace. And at the 11th hour, I ended up pulling the contract, which was terrifying, but I, I, I kind of wanted to go in a different direction with that. So all of a sudden I'm back at square one with my career. Cause we didn't have anybody to buy it. And I thought, what on earth have I done? And then I don't know, like a week or two later, my agent again shopped it around and we got this penguin contract, uh, a two book contract, which was such a good lesson for me because literally from one day to the next, I was at the lowest point mentally that I had been in a long time about my career. And the next day I thought I was all that because of what? One random yes, I call it. It was a great lesson to me that 
validation shouldn't be external because it doesn't change anything about you or your writing. It was the exact same writing. I was the exact same writer the day before. So anyway, we signed the first book for that. And this is the greatest contract in the history of contracts because both these manuscripts were already written. (laughs) So I signed a contract and I was like, here you go. And in the meanwhile, intuitive editing came out, which I self-published because uh, editing is my number one priority. It's very close to my heart and this is my business and I did not want to give up the rights to it. So it never was never an option for me to even try to shop that one around. So yeah, I've been down all three paths for completely different reasons. Like traditional publishing was a goal of mine because I wanted at that point, I was like, well, I just want all of it. I want the trifecta. But I also felt like as an editor, and I work with a lot of authors who are traditionally published as well as a lot of indie authors, I felt like it maybe lent me some knowledge and credibility Mm -hmm. if I had seen every side of the coin. Oops. So um, (laughs) I, sorry, I'm like throwing things across my office. Um, I've got so many questions. So how did you find the the processes like in, from, I'm less interested in the small press, but between being traditionally published by Mm. a massive publishing house and self-publishing intuitive editing like how like how like what were the differences for you how did it feel like (laughs) how do you feel now a year or so out of having done Mm. a self-published book versus whatever happens with penguin so i fear and resist tech technology of all sorts my husband is a techie guy and he forces me kicking and screaming to learn new skills. And at every turn of my career, both as a fiction writer and also with my editing business, he has kept me ahead of the curve. Like when I've been in this business long enough, I started with a red pencil and picking up actual hard copies at publishers. And when everything started to go electronic, a lot of publishers were not keen on that because they early in, it did not seem like it was going to be something that would stick, right? It was it was the Model T. Everyone's like, no, no, everyone's going to want their horses. <laughs> but no, indeed, we wanted the car. So at first, there weren't very many editors who were willing to learn it and who were learning it. So I was ahead of the curve on that. And then when published, when the publishing landscape started to change, he kept me ahead of the curve on that. So when I was going to independent, independently publish my book, it was fairly terrifying because I had to learn everything. And while I know the business side of it from a craft perspective, I do not know any, I did not know any of the stuff about, oh, you need, you know, this, you need your Ingram account and here's how Amazon works. I still don't. Right before we started the show, I'm asking you very basic questions about how to record an audiobook because I'm going to do that for my editing book. And it's all just a new frontier for me and here there be dragons. So um, that part is very hard. I say that they both have wonderful, terrible things. The amazing part for someone who is very type A and a bit of a controlling human being anyway, but particularly where my business is concerned, I have opinions, Sasha. (laughs) And to be able to direct every element of it has been absolutely incredibly rewarding. And I, I have never been prouder, I think, of anything than this book for a lot of reasons, the content, but also like, I think it looks amazing. And that was the designer I hired who was incredible but also we worked so closely together on getting, I had a very clear vision. And so now I see this thing and I love it. You know, every time I see this book, I couldn't be prouder. The day it published, I said to my husband, if I, knock wood, if I die tomorrow, it's cool. 
because now I have done this thing that was so important to me. But then you work with a publisher and while you don't have as, you do have input, meaningful consultation, which I always joke is a completely ironically meaningless term. But if you're lucky enough to work with a good publisher and a good team, as I have been, who genuinely takes your preferences into account, you'd like the current cover that we have was pretty tweaked. They gave me a beautiful design, but the colors weren't what I had envisioned. And we went back and forth getting just like the pedantically right colors that I wanted. And they were great about that. And I don't have to worry about, you know, you just said, will the book be everywhere? Sure, sure it will. I guess I don't have to worry about that. It's being done for me. When it's time to record an audiobook, they ask me my preferences. They sent, they audition the talent. They send me top choices and I get to just pick things. That's great. I don't have the skin in the game directly that I have with intuitive where, and you know how this is with indie publishing. If I, let's say I do a workshop online, I can go look at my sales and I can figure out, I can correlate What's the most effective thing for my sales? Exactly how many books am I selling? Where am I selling them? Um, what can I do to make this better? I can fine tune it anytime I want to. I can do anything with the book that I want to do with it. If I want to sell it at events, I can do that. Um, I'm the boss. But on the other hand, I have to do all of that. And, yeah. and Penguin takes care of that for me. And I have a way wider organic reach with Penguin I have to work a lot harder with my own book to get, um, I won't say the same reach because you can't reach the same uh, breadth of audience as you can with a major publisher, but to be able to reach the readers that I am reaching, it's a lot more work with my own book. Mm. Do, you, do you think you'll continue across all of the paths? I probably won't do small press again, I don't think. I might do traditional again. Um, I don't, I'm in a weird place with fiction right now. I have become, while I always loved editing the most, and I knew that I always loved writing fiction as well. And lately I'm just not feeling it as much as I used to, partly because I think I'm just on fire for the nonfiction right now. It's all I want to read. It's all I can think about. I am, con like you were saying, I'm constantly working out concepts and ideas and that's what you do as a fiction writer too. But right now I'm just not into doing it for made up people. I'm into doing it for these concepts that I just, it's like a Rubik's cube and I just want to solve it mm -hmm. and keep solving it. So I don't know whether I will or not. And will I ever go traditional with my nonfiction craft books? I don't know. I am a bit of a capitalist and for the right price, there's much I would do. So, so I don't know. Well, here's a proposition for you. Um, don't ever sell your English rights, world, mm. world right, rights. However, I am, and I can't say too much about it because there isn't, uh, the, the, we're just waiting on contracts, but um, you can sell sub rights. And I'm working with Foreign. somebody, at, yeah, yeah, I'm working with somebody at the moment. Um, and obviously I'm trying to be discreet because this is being recorded. You see me taking notes right yeah. now. I'm like, <laughs> well, we mm, could, keep talking. Yeah, remind me, remind <laughs> me afterwards and I can tell you a little bit more. Um, but uh, yeah, you can sell sub rights. Uh, I actually had interest in from Russia of all places. And that was my first indication, not indication, obviously, I knew that they were separate rights, but it was my first thought that, oh, having representation for this opens a lot of doors I can't really open on my yes, own. Yes, it does. 
Yes, it does. And that means you retain your rights, um, like the, the ones that make that bring in the DOSH, essentially, which is the, the English rights. And you, you know, essentially you get these lump sums from foreign rights, subsidiary rights. And, you know, they're not all going to sell out, but some of them will. Um, and so it's just like extra, extra cash, essentially. And you get to see your book with a cool foreign cover on it, which exactly. would be fun. And it, it, you know, you, one hopes that you're able to reach new readers in their native tongue, which is fantastic mm-hmm. because it's not something that we can necessarily do that easily. Um, Especially I, in this field. Yeah, exactly. But I have to say foreign rights seems to be a growing market at the moment i i seem to be finding more and more people um who are having people approach them because i thought it was junk i thought it was a uh, me too yeah i, I actually it ran it by my my fiction agent because yes. i'm like this is a joke right and yes. she she actually was like no and i have a foreign sub rights agent would you like us to handle this i'm like yeah. yes please yeah that's i sent it to the alliance of independent authors and i was like is this spam what is this this is a joke right um oh, we're such cynics i know i know but anyway i don't want to say too much because um obviously i'm just waiting for to sign contracts and things but um Yes. Anyway, so that is an option uh, uh, in terms of, you know, you can you can sell those rights. And, and yeah. How, what do you think you're learning or taking from like your traditional um, publishing experiences into your indie life and your indie career in business? Like what what kind of benefits mm-hmm. are you seeing as a hybrid author or what lessons are you learning that you can replicate? Oh, that's a really good question. I, I have a wonderful marketing team. I've been so grateful for all that they've been doing and the editorial team too, everybody. It's just, it's been a great experience across the board, but the marketing particularly, dang, those people are organized. So I think that's a great lesson for me in being, I'm a little bit scattershot with my marketing. I'm like, you know, squirrel, this looks interesting. I'll do that. Oh, Oh, look at that. I'll do that too. And I like the idea of having a marketing plan where you actually think ahead of positioning your, your book. Um, one thing, I don't know if I've learned it necessarily from my experience with traditional publishing, but I have been listening to, um, uh, is it Serena Bowen? I think who talks a lot about this, maybe, uh, no, it's not KJ Delantonia. It's, it's going to come to me anyway. Um, this, this enormous push with her own books, I, oh God, it's, it's killing me. I can't think of her name. We're just going to dub it in later and that'll make me happy. But at any rate, she, she had this really clear plan of where she wanted to send her book about education. I'm looking at the cover in my brain, but not, uh, it's not coming to my tongue. And so she targeted herself, all of these like principals of schools, administrators, and she invested in her books and she sent them to these people with personal notes, hundreds of them. I love that. I think that's such a great grassroots way of marketing. And to me, it mixes the best of what is great about indie and what's great about traditional because the traditional publishers have the easy ability when she makes a contact to be able to go, yes, we can get them 500 copies of the book at a bulk rate, whereas that would be harder for me independently. But bringing this indie mindset in is I think what allows her to take this initiative with her marketing efforts. And so she's dovetailing with her marketing team. Mm. Oh, I, it's, I'm in the, uh, funnily enough, 
I'm also in a very strange place with my fiction. Um, I'm finishing mm. out um, this um, young adult fantasy series because uh, early, so I was gonna, it was gonna be longer. And I've really struggled with the, with the book that I'm working on for a really long time. And I think it's because I wasn't writing the stuff that I really wanna write, which is young adult LGBT stuff, mm. which is very on trend, very hot right now. Um, and the book that I'm about 25K into uh, is a standalone as well, which obviously is easier to sell in a traditional market than necessarily a uh, a full-on series from an unknown uh, author. So yeah, I don't know. I, I'm in this odd, strange place where I don't really know what I'm going to do with it. And I, yeah, so anyway. I, Isn't I, it I, nice to have the option to decide well, I mean, I can decide to try and pursue trad. I can't decide to go trad. We know we know how difficult these things are to sell. But yeah, I mean, it's nice to be able to have the option to even try, I think. And to decide what you want to write. I've been talking to a lot of authors lately because being traditionally published is a mixed blessing. You become a commodity. Yeah. You're a product. And so I've talked to several authors who've told me that their editors, you know, they'll turn in, uh, let's say they'll complete their contract and they'll turn in their option book. And several people have said to me that their editors have said, well, this isn't something I think we can sell, but we could sell this if you want to write in this genre or rewrite this in this way. And that's great. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm a capitalist. I'm all for doing what you got to do if that's what you want for your career. But also you're writing to the market to a degree and we all are, but also you, you know, if you have a bird in hand, if you have an agent and an editor and a track record and the market dictating what, I don't know, your imprint is going to be able to position you best to sell. That's a hard thing to walk away from. So of course you, you might consider changing the things that you're wanting to write, but I'm like you, if I'm not writing the story that I really, really want to write, I'm pretty much not writing. Exactly. Just because I can't, exactly. it does, it's not fun. Yeah. It's got to be fun. That is my exact problem. But, you know, some of the things, uh, some of the opportunities that Trad provides are, are hard for me to ignore because there are, mm -hmm. the, the ego parts of me still wants to submit to awards at some point when I when I might be good enough to do that you know and I'm not ashamed to say that hey I'm competitive you know same no there's a lot of that that was behind my wanting to be traditionally published because as an editor I wanted I mean right or wrong there is a perceived strata in in people's minds not all people and I wanted to be able to say I had hit every level mm, yes exactly and it's also that it's the curiosity to know a thing that I don't have access to right now. Like mm -hmm. I want the knowledge, I want the learning, I want to see- You want behind the like. curtain. Yeah, because then I can talk <laughs> to it. You know, I'm right. so handicapped right now. I can only speak from, you know, friends and, and colleagues and what I see and what I learn and what I research, but it's not the same as having gone through the process. And mm -hmm. I really, that does appeal to me, but it has to be the right book because I am uh, opportunistic. And I do not want to give up rights to something that I think I can make more money from, you know? Yep, <laughs> so, I get that. Yeah. And the right house and the right editors. I mean, if you're lucky enough to get a good situation, it makes a world of difference. Exactly. Also, I'm a massive fucking rebel and I'm never very good under somebody else's rules or control. So I would probably always be <laughs> that black sheep if I did go into or attempt to get This into could be a problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so... You've been in the industry for quite some time. So can you 
can you talk about how like publishing and opportunities and and the markets and the industry has changed over the course of your career yeah so one of the most valuable things i've learned from a i guess a business marketing standpoint is how often this market changes like i remember chiclet you know was huge in the i don't even know what was that the early 90s mid 90s you had Jennifer Weiner and then the explosion of the shopaholic books. Yes. Mm, Sophie Kinsella. Oh, I remember that. Oh, it was great. It was great. And then um, that just died and you couldn't give away a chiclet book and then chiclet came back, but now we don't call it, we don't want to call it chiclet anymore. We want to call it, I don't even know what it changes so often. And there was a time when I could not stop working on vampire books, <laughs> not because I wanted to, but because I was working for publishers at the time as a copy editor, um, most of the big six, this is how long ago that was. And I just keep, keep, I kept getting the vampire books and I'm not a fan because as I told my niece, anybody you meet who literally wants to suck the life out of you is not a healthy relationship. <laughs> so at any rate, I was, I asked one of my editors once, um, what's with the vampires? I not stopping. And he goes, no, no, these are cycles. They always end. And it didn't end and it didn't end. And then finally it just disappeared. And I don't even know if it's made a resurgence. I haven't really seen a lot of that. Well, Paranormal came up and back. Steampunk came up and back. Yeah. And so you kind of learn. Dystopian was another one. Yeah. And now we don't want that because we're living a dystopian. <laughs> we were living a dystopian environment. Now just everybody Psychological be careful. thrillers, lest we forget those bad boys. Thrillers, that, yeah. huge right now. But remember yeah. when they got oversaturated after like uh, Gone Girl and Girl on the Train? And for a minute, mm -hmm. it was like, okay, people lay off the thrillers. So one thing is they tell you not to write to the market for the most part, but truly don't write to the market because by the time you have figured out that there's a trend, and even if you were to get your, if you were ready to submit that second, you're at least what, a year and a half, two years out from publication, and probably you've already missed the wave. Yeah, so I, I agree with that completely if you're going traditional. The one time I would disagree with that is if you are capable of writing a book a month as an indie mm -hmm. and you can rapid release because that is the only time you can actually keep up with the market. If yes. you if you are trying to be traditional, there is just no point in attempt, you know, because if you're, if you're out. Right. Or if you write, and I'm not going to say normal, because I know there's a lot of writers who can churn out volume like that. I am not one of them. But if you're Either a writer I. who can't <laughs> produce a book that often, then even by the time you get it written, edited, um, all the stuff you have to do to get it self-published, if you're like me, where it's all a learning curve, that's still a good long while. And you've probably missed it at that point. So write what you love is the, one of the things I've learned. And don't worry too much about what the market's doing. And also don't worry, like when we were, the first time we tried to get Breakup Doctor sold was sort of in that trough <laughs> for Chiclet because it was more, it leaned more like rom-com. And they're just, people would say, oh, it's really good. We like the book. We like the story. Can't sell it right now. Mm -hmm. And then just a couple of years made a really big difference in that. So if there's something that you love that turns out to be your novel in a drawer, but you still believe in it, don't give up on it. It's time may come. Yeah. I, I, it's funny because I think I only really learned that lesson this year, which is crazy, mm -hmm. you know, but like it, it was, 
it was such a revelation to realize like it, it happened because of reading I found that I was having like these intense emotional reactions to particular books and then I was just like just reading other books and I was like what is going on and it really reminded me of why I came to writing was to write the things that I really love and um yeah like if we if we are creating this life in this business and we are literally pouring our lives and souls <laughs> into it why the bloody hell wouldn't you write the thing that that you love um because I truly believe that we can make money out of the things that we love um you know you just have to work your ass off to find your niche audience but um I think we can but I also think it is as you say it's hard you have to work your ass off and there's no guarantees and um let's say you're going traditional the paydays even if you get this contract you want. I think the average contract, first contract right now for a debut author is the advance is 5,000 to 15,000. You can't live on that. Dollars. Yeah. Um, Even if you are, I mean, there's, I I just published an article uh, in uh, Women's Fiction Writers Association's magazine about sort of the realities of the business. And they're, you know, a bit grim and depressing for the most part. And I'm including all aspects of the business, including small press, where you may not get any advance or low advance. Indie, where you may do well, or your book may sell five copies to your family. You don't know. So if we're, so if you're hooking all of your hopes on one day, my ship will come in one day, this will be a big payday. It's kind of like hooking all of your hopes on a lottery ticket, a lottery ticket, or walking into Vegas and you know with your money and going, I'm gonna make my mortgage. Maybe, but maybe not. So you better know why you're doing this. If it never happens, that's why I liked the question you had on your monitor. If it never happens, do you still enjoy doing it? If someone yeah. told you right now you will never support yourself as a writer, which most writers don't, even the full-time ones. I think the Authors Guild said the average salary for full-time authors is twenty thousand dollars. So let's say you never support yourself or you never even get published and get whatever this brass ring is. Are you going to be happy you spent this many hours and this much of your life doing it? And I don't mean that to be depressing because to me, that's a very freeing question. That's why I liked what you, Mm. that you had it and the way I interpreted it because you reaffirm every day, the reason you do do this. Mm -hmm. If you're a knitter or a baker or you love to play on the piano, you're not thinking, oh, someday I'm going to make so much money from this, or I'm going to play Carnegie Hall, or I'm going to hang in the Metro in the Met. You're doing it out of the love of doing the thing. Yeah. And that's yeah. the part that drew us, most of us to this career. And I think that's the part we need to stay in touch with. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree, but I lost that somewhere over the last like three mm. or four years. I lost that. And then I found it again. and was like, uh, yeah, that's why I wanted to quit that other book and that other series. And now I've remembered. And so I'm now I'm able to finish it um, because I know what's coming. Um, and it is the love of that new fiction. So yeah, like I, I, I completely, oh, I utterly, utterly agree on such a deep level. Um, but it was a really hard like lesson to learn. Um, Okay, so you write nonfiction and fiction, as do I. So how how do you like transition between the two? Do you have similar writing processes? Do you like how do you put those different headspaces in your mind? Like mm. how do you cope and juggle with that? Um, that's that's sometimes a little bit harder because they're so different. I can't seem to work on both projects at the same time not simultaneously, but I mean, you know, if I'm writing a nonfiction, that's all I'm doing. If I'm working on fiction, that's all I'm doing. But like a lot of writers, I think I percolate. Mm. 
Yes. So while I was working on the final edits for the way we weren't, I have been percolating all these ideas for this next intuitive editing book that I'm working on, but they were way in the back burner and they were just kind of on autopilot, just sort of simmering. Mm -hmm. Then once I finished the fiction, I could bring them to the forefront and uh, without saying too much like you, I, I recently had a, a bit of astonishing news about something I, I, I'm being really cryptic about my life. And it was a bit paradigm altering and it sparked an idea for a story that I already had, like, a, like you said, maybe 30K of that I had put aside. And I'm like, oh, now I know what that story is about. And I really felt motivated, but I think it's on the back burner right now. Like, I don't feel like I'm ready to sit down and write that yet. Mm -hmm. Also because I'm working on this nonfiction, but I think that might be the next thing that I do. Um, so I have to do them at totally separate times and they do have a little bit of a different mindset. I still do the permission to suck. I still do velocity and the truth. One thing I do, and I'm going to just show my belly here. So chime in and make me feel better. If you do this too, when I write the nonfiction, I suffer sometimes from imposter syndrome mm -hmm. and I have to sometimes remind myself that I have nothing to prove. I don't have to show how well I know the material. I don't have to convince anybody that I am experienced in it, um, have to get out of my own way in that sense. And when I'm mindful, when I'm not mindful of that and the imposter syndrome demons get a hold of me, I don't think my nonfiction writing is very good because I'm trying to impress. So I, I, I suffer exactly the same thing, but the way that I do it, the way that I, I'm very careful not to label myself an expert. And what I do is I share the lessons I've learned. Yes. That's the headspace I have to get into. I right. have to, but I, but I start in, oh, I have to prove I'm the expert. And then I realize, no, I don't. Mm -hmm. I, I legit have a lot of experience at this. I legit know what, and I'm being very ungrammatical by saying legit, <laughs> even as I tell you what an experienced editor I am, but it's not knowledge I'm pretending to have. You know, I have it. Do I have all of it? No, I learn every day, like everybody, but I, I have worked on thousands of manuscripts. And in that time I have gleaned some things and I'm not trying to dazzle anyone or show anybody that I have, you know, that I am an expert. I just keep reminding myself exactly what you said. I have learned some ways that authors can dig a little deeper and have an easier time, maybe doing editing, revision, writing, and I can share those. And I enjoy doing that. So if I can get that's, that's my routine with nonfiction. I have yeah. to stop myself if I feel that expert thing coming on and just go, no, nah, no. Nah. There was a quote I heard from a public speaker once who said that before every time he went up on stage, he said, I don't have to go in there and change everybody's life. Maybe I can go in there and just change one person's life. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can just teach one thing to one person. And that's, uh, that's better than I was before I stepped on stage. So I think about that a lot. I just, if I, if I make one thing easier for one writer, that's worth it. Mm. I, I love that. And I have a very, very similar process. I can't really work on both of them at the same time. So what mm. I do is I, um, so I have like another post-it that says input, analyze, intellect, output. And so <laughs> when I'm drafting for one, 
I'm inputting for the other. So let's say I'm drafting fiction. No, so I'm editing and drafting fiction right now. So I'm okay. inputting like and I'm devouring books and articles mm. on nonfiction, right? Okay. But then when I'm writing nonfiction, I will be reading and devouring books for the next um, you know, like comparison books, fictional books for for the next fiction book that I write. So, and then I kind of like I, you know, chomp on it all, and then I sort of do some analysis, whether that be in a masterclass or or writing something down or whatever. And then, you know, I think about it a bit, and then I get to output. But yeah, so I have a very similar process. I love that. That's smart because I think that keeps you out of mimic mode. Also, I think a lot of us as writers will that whatever we're reading seeps into the way we're writing. So if, I love that you're reading something so completely different to avoid that temptation. Yeah. I'm reading Pat Conroy and then all of a sudden I am Pat Conroy as I write. If I'm reading, you know, Ron Chernow, then I am Ron Chernow as I'm writing. So I used to suffer with that a lot more, um, but I read so prolifically now I'm churning through so many different voices. I don't think I have the time. Like I've, I've read almost a hundred <laughs> books this year. So I don't, like I go through so many, I don't get the time to mm -hmm. like saturate myself in their voice. But yeah, I definitely used to suffer with that quite a lot because you do, you want to emulate, emulate those voices that you- Even that you unintentionally. Love. Yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. like it just, it just soaks up into you and then it comes out. It does, exactly. Yeah. Um. Okay, so last last sort of big question then. You you have a pen name. Um, you still have a pen name, but you kept it quiet for so long. How, what, talk to me about that. Was it difficult? How did you keep it quiet? Why did you decide to to come into the limelight? Yeah, to, <laughs> tell me all of the things. Um, I it was not difficult because we kept it as an uh, we called it an open secret, but I did not cross pollinate whatsoever. So I never identified myself as, when I was, okay, when I'm, I'm going to sound really a little bit um, unstable for a second, when I'm Phoebe, because <laughs> I think of her, that name is almost a separate being. I don't, I never talked about my editing. I never talked about, you know, identified my real name. And then when I was doing editing, I never would say to people, oh yes, I also write fiction. I started doing that because I've said a couple of times, editing is my heart and soul. It's my number one priority. It's the, it's my passion. I love writing, but editing is my jam. And I never, and that's my main business also. And I work with a lot of authors who write in a lot of different genres. And when I'm working with them, I want them to feel like they have my full focus and they're not my second priority to my writing career, which they are not. I also didn't want anybody to read, like I write in women's fiction. I work with mystery writers. I work with thriller. I work with horror. I didn't want them going, oh, what does she know? She writes in women's fiction. But then I realized uh, like about a year ago, I've just been starting to get more, I'm trying to get more and more authentic in all things and operate as free as, from fear as possible. And I realized that one of my main motivations was a secret fear that I had not admitted to myself uh, that I'm a better editor than I am writer. And I was afraid of people I worked with reading me and thinking, oh, she's not that good. Why should we listen to her as an editor? And I don't know. It, I, I think I felt, you know, as an editor, there's a certain remove. You're standing there holding up the mirror and saying, here's what I see. And then all of a sudden, as a writer, you're the one who's kind of, um, I, don't, I always say the beggar at the table as a joke, but I don't mean it that way. I just mean like everything you do as a writer is, to me, always feels like it's, hey, read my book, you'll be glad. Hey, buy my book, you'll be glad. You're always, I'm always asking for something. And I never felt like I, I like, I think I write 
very good fiction and I like the stories I write a lot. They entertain me. I think they're well-written, but I feel like I'm offering something truly of practical value to authors with my editing. So I have no problem at all going, check this out. It's probably going to help you. I do not have that same confidence as an author. So this is really fascinating to me because I think I was a very good editor. Um, but my joy, I get more joy from the writing. But what's interesting to me is that I still think it is easier to edit somebody else's book than it is to have confidence in your own writing. Because I don't know if it's because of the editing that I will never lose that critical eye. But I think when you write your own Mm. book, it is so... Like when you're an editor and a writer, you still need an editor. Oh, yeah. And this is the strange thing. You can edit somebody else's book, right? Because you are that. And see exactly what it needs. Like what what is not working as well as it could. It's so crystal clear. Exactly. And this is why it's hard to have confidence in your fiction because you can't do that. when I can't do it. I can't can't. see it. No, exactly. Unless... When I have taken a long time away from my manuscripts, then I can come back and I can edit it like an editor. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think that I edit harder and better now, um, my own fiction than I ever used to, but I still, you know, it's still harder than in, you know, to edit your own work than it is to edit somebody else's. And, and there's just, I just don't know what it is because you can see story structure so clearly in somebody else's mm-hmm. work. You can see where the depth's missing or, or where the pacing's off. And then it, you just fucking go to mush when it comes to your <laughs> yes. own. Yeah. Just... Mush is a great word. It's like one big thicket. Yeah. Whereas when I'm editing, I feel like I'm in the drone above the forest going, oh, I see everything. I see yes. the way out and let me yes. show you the pathway. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think part of that's weird. the objectivity. Yeah. And also, you know, we can't, we're filling in the blanks. And I also wonder, I don't know, like you said, it's a bit of a mystery. It is a bit of a mystery because we get experience with gaining objectivity. I, I'm much better at it than I used to be with my own work, but still not with the clarity I have with someone else's. Yeah, I know. I, it's, I just, it's a, I don't know. It's, I it's don't know, a, is it a paradox. I don't know what, that, what the right <laughs> word is, but it's a bizarre. Okay. Well, this is the rebel author podcast. So I'm hoping we have a new rebel story for me. Uh, can you tell me about a time you unleashed your inner rebel? Ah, uh, you know, you always, you ask this and I'm the least, I always think I'm the least rebel person. Well, what I think I said last time, and it's true is I say that, but then nothing I do is the way you're supposed to do it. You know what I mean? Like I just sort of decide this thing I want to do and I just bowl ahead and I go do it. You and I were talking about like the audiobooks, and I have no clue what I'm doing. I don't even know how to put up an audible book or what that means or how you build or how you charge for it or anything. But by God, if I decide I'm going to do it, I will just go find a way to do it. And it may be in through the back door, not with this particular thing. Cause I think there's only a front door. I guess the best, uh, the best example of it to be specific is that as an editor, uh, I think you have my book, but in the very first chapter, I say, anytime I use the word rules, it will be in air quotes because I really do reject as much as I love writing and writing craft, I totally reject the idea of dogma and rules. And I get a 
bit aggravated when anybody tells an author that this is the right way to do it. Mm -hmm. Like there is no right way to do it. There are a lot of people who have a lot of great insights and techniques that may have worked for them or with a specific book, but there is no one size fits all. There is no right or wrong. And you are the boss of everything in your career. And so you take all of that in and then you get to decide exactly how you want to be a rebel and apply all of that in the way that it works best for you. And from the very, from gosh, from the very, early in my career, that has been my approach. I am not a fan of, of ironing it all out. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I love that. Um, I, I always start with some variation on fuck the rules as my first opening gambit in my, in my nonfiction books. You so, have to learn them, but then yeah, yeah, don't get bound up in them because you're going to, you're going to stifle all of that wonderful uniqueness and creativity and voice that makes you, you by trying to do this external thing. Someone said you should do. Exactly, exactly. Okay, so tell everyone where they can find out more about you and your books and your services and the way we worked. And yeah, mm. where, can, where can they get all of the stuff? So the best places to go for anything related to my writing craft stuff, editing, um, classes, all of that is foxprinteditorial.com. Best place to go for my books, my fiction books will be phoebefoxauthor.com. Turns out, there's a Phoebe Fox actor and another Phoebe Fox author who writes children's books. I do not write the children's books. Um, as I learned when somebody recently contacted me for an interview for my latest book for a group of children. And I'm like, I don't think you want children hearing about what my book is about. Uh, and then uh, I have a, a thing coming up that might be fun for your readers or listeners. I don't know if it's going to still be relevant when this airs, but on November, uh, fifth through seventh, I believe I'm doing the fiction intensive with Stephen James, where we're presenting, he's presenting panels and workshops, a virtual conference that should be fun. That's fictionintensive.com. I think that it may still be relevant because this one is going up relatively soon because this is near your launch date. So um... cool. if it does great, if it doesn't edit that out. Okay. <laughs> Okay, superb. Um, okay, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time once again today. And also you'll have to hit me up when you have that next nonfiction book. Well, I will. You. It's yeah. so good to see you. It's been since you did the editorial summit. I know that we yeah, did with a panel of experts. That was, uh, I still hear great things about it, especially about you because of your little potty mouth and all of your wisdom. <laughs> I am naughty. Oh. <laughs> Um, well, and of course, a big gigantic thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You will if I'll start that again. <laughs> I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Tiffany Yates Martin, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by Janice Hardy, and we're going to be talking about how to fix your settings and descriptions. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review. Mm -hmm.